Jared's done a good job this morning. He's like a regular old DJ. I mean, like, you could do weddings. You read in the room. Like, you would have gotten... You would have gotten people on the floor. As a, I mean, just the way you're reading the room today, Jared, just bravo, you know. All right, Jared's going to quit running up there from now on. But uh, we've been uh, studying the Holy Spirit, and uh, I, hope it's, I hope it's been challenging to you and encouraging. Uh, the, end, the end goal, really, each week for us is our response to... God's work in our life, an openness to whether or not we are going to listen to God's Spirit that's available to us. If we're going to have a posture of saying, yes, Lord, I do need you, I do need your help, I do need your presence to go with me. Or if we just kind of keep going hard-hearted and blinded to what God's doing. And so my hope for us throughout each week as we study and, and pay attention to the Holy Spirit and, and maybe learn new things or be, um, uh, be reminded of the truths that we have held on to for a long time, that we would be encouraged in our walk with God, that we would bear the fruit of God's Spirit in our life, that we would know that we are um, finding our life on the vine that is Jesus Christ and that we are his branches, and we are called to bear much fruit from a life that is with God. If in all of this that we forget this very central and incredible truth is that we are called to live a life with God, I don't know that we always quite fathom just how significant that is. And so periodically with all of you, I kind of will walk through all of the scriptures and just point out what God is up to. Starting in the beginning, God... God with his creation, the rejection of humankind towards God, and this ongoing pursuit to have God become one with us again. The sort of closing hope of Scripture is that God will be with us the way he was always supposed to be. We get glimpses of this when we uh, are reading the Scriptures. We are in what is called the now but not yet. The now is, is that we know that because of the cross, because of Jesus' cru- Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection, something monumental in history has happened when Jesus is risen from the dead and ascends to the throne of God. Something incredible has happened because Christ's Spirit is here with us today. Something has happened in history that this moment right now, the kingdom of God is present. And we are those sorts of people that live in this reality, though not everybody realizes it. We know something that other people don't. I uh, was on the sideline for the football game, and I had this little premonition. I felt, those guys are going to kick an onside kick. And I kept it to myself. And then they kicked an onside kick. And I was like, did you see what happened? And then I was like, oh wait, I never spit it out. And I just wanted to get that out there that I do know what I'm doing every once in a while. But I didn't share it with anyone. And sometimes I feel like life is that way. We know something about the world. When we look at the news, when we see what's happening all around us, we, we know the truth about the world 
we know the truth about sin. We know the truth about brokenness. We know the truth about what Jesus has done to redeem and save. I have sat in rooms with people who are handcuffed by uh, sort of bureaucracy things that they have to do. That they will do all that they can to help individuals who are having a difficult time in their life. And every single one of those situations, they are working on the circumstances of the people's lives. And all they can do, pardon the phrase, is put lipstick on a pig. Because they can't do what really truly needs to be done, which is announce to them that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, a Redeemer and Friend, and He has given His life for you. And so circumstances continue to plummet and fall apart because they're handcuffed from saying the truth. And so children stay in broken homes. Children stay on a cycle of violence and poverty and neglect and heartache. And so I treasure folks like Ray and Terry Brandt who every week gather hundreds of pounds of food and they distribute food to people who are in need. But so much more importantly, they tell them about the bread of true life, of true hope, of true salvation that comes from Christ. We live in two realities, and now, but not yet. And while we get that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, the whole world doesn't yet know it. But there is a day that is coming in which the light bulb will go on for every person. And they will know Jesus Christ is Lord. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, Jesus is Lord. But what do we do in this ongoing conflict where we know something about the world? You know that, right? That Jesus is Lord. And you have confessed it before friends and family. You have confessed it before enemies. You know this about the world. You know that the power of God's love is revealed on the cross. Yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that the power of the cross is pure foolishness to the world. The world looks at the cross of Jesus Christ and they don't get it. They don't understand that the power of God's love is sacrificial love. That the world is made right through the sacrifice of Jesus. The Bible says that to the world this is utter foolishness. Paul tells us Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says in verse uh, chapter 1 and 26, now let's jump a little bit further back, in verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since the wisdom of God, the world through, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs, and Greeks, they looked for wisdom. But what do we preach? We preach Christ crucified. And it's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, that's everyone, all of creation, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast No one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthian church, a handful of things that are going awry. And the way that Paul's going to address each of the problems, and there's going to be problems with division, which is what these chapters are about, they were being divisive. They were saying, I like Paul, I like Apollos, and I like Peter, and they were all disagreeing with each other about who who they liked best. And, you know, if we started raising our hands about who likes Gene Neihart, Stan Hulla, or Jordan Eckes, you know, I don't want my feelings to get hurt, I know, but I know that it, was, it would be me. Um, you know, but this is the sort of divisiveness, and it was about personality, it was about persuasiveness, it was about eloquence. But the problem was they were trying to figure out who they were going to follow. And uh, later in Corinthians, they're going to talk about sexual immorality and living a, a, a life of integrity. They're, they're going to address people disbelieving in the resurrection. They're going to question about food being sacrificed to idols. And I, I know that those are all sort of things like, yeah, we got all of that figured out. But for Paul, he is doing damage control with a divisive congregation that's being split apart. And he's saying, you are unified in Christ. And each and every one of his responses is to bring the gospel and another sort of picture of the gospel into the conversation. And when you read all of 1 Corinthians, you get a beautiful wide-angle lens of how the gospel infiltrates into every aspect of human life. And in this case, Paul is looking at a group of people who are becoming divisive about 
We want the person who will tickle our ears the best and the most persuasive of speeches. And I know that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and Paul's going to bring the Holy Spirit into the conversation. But at first, you have to hear what Paul's message is. Because it's a picture of the gospel, and the picture of the gospel is this. That it was in the wisdom of God to shame the strong and the mighty and the powerful and all of, all of the people of influence and to share this simple truth to say that all of this is going to nothing. He uses the weak to point people to the gospel of God, to point them to Christ. And he says, when I was with you, I, wanted, I didn't want to be persuasive. I didn't want to be eloquent. I wanted to make sure that you knew that when I share with you that it is God's spirit, it is God's power, it is God's message that is changing people's lives. And there is not a preacher that exists in the world that changes people's lives. It is Christ and it is Him crucified and it is Him resurrected that has changed your life and has changed mine. And it is this message and it is not the messenger. And it's not the persuasiveness of rhetorical skill. It is not the eloquence. It is not the false tears of a preacher. And it's not his heightened passion in a moment of feeling like God's working. The power is in Christ. The power is in him crucified and resurrected. And Paul's message is to say to a group of people, why are you fighting over who said what? when our hope and our salvation and our righteousness and our holiness and all that we are and all the life we have comes from Jesus Christ. And so then he offers, he offers this illustration. It says in chapter 2, And so it is with me, brothers and sisters, when I come to you, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was all about Christ. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching, they were not wise with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. That your faith might not rest on what people say, but on Christ's power at work in you that your life might be founded and rooted upon on the Christ, uh, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, that your life might be built up in Jesus and Jesus only, that your life might not be recharged from, uh, from a, an incredible emotional experience, but that your life might be recharged and built up and changed because of the power of Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, and for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The world doesn't see Jesus the way you and I see Jesus. And the world's going to continue dancing around trying to fix problems that they aren't equipped to fix. And Paul's going to say that all of this is going to come to nothing. But there is something that is alive in our world today, and the Spirit brings it to our attention. The Spirit searches all things. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? We get that, don't we? You don't know what I'm thinking, though I often regurgitate it without thinking. But my spirit knows me the very best. My spirit knows my anxiousness, my every thought. My spirit within me understands me best. Wendy may think she knows me, but my spirit knows me, and your spirit knows you. So Paul, he's setting us up with a nice handy-dandy little illustration here. I didn't even have to do preacher work this week. The illustration is right there. A spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. I hope you catch that, because this, I feel like, is an often overlooked aspect of the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things. The Spirit has searched the heart of God. The Spirit has mined the caverns of God's mind and His will, and it offers us the treasure of knowing something that God knows. And we get into a little hairy territory, and I'm just going to say this. Sometimes you run into folks who like to tell you everything that you know God has revealed to them. And you're like, oh, okay. How do you know this? And it gets uneasy and it gets uncomfortable. And here's what I would want to say. I think Paul is not talking about getting these special revelations. I think Paul is talking to us about understanding this significant truth about how God makes the world right. What the Spirit has done has revealed that the way the world is made right is through the sacrificial love of Christ. Paul is repeatedly telling us we are to know that it is about Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It's all about Christ's powerful, sacrificial life, uh, giving of himself at the cross. And the Spirit reveals to us this, that the Spirit is telling us that in God's mind, God's plan was to redeem and save through his son, Jesus Christ. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And what God has freely given us is new life in Jesus Christ. What God has freely given us is hope and salvation and righteousness, that we live free lives in Jesus Christ today. And the Spirit works in our lives to remind us of this. Every time we feel like we have to earn our salvation, the Spirit of God is within us to say that I have given you all things, that I have given you life, that I have laid down my life for you. The Spirit of God reminds us and encourages us. Reminds us of His grace. Reminds us of His mercy. Reminds us for all the times that we feel broken that there's a Father who understands that we have the Spirit of God revealing His heart and His compassion. And it's not about some special revelation other than the special revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and He's redeemed and He saved you. It's a gift for you. The Spirit has searched all things and it has bothered to tell you of this truth. Jesus is Lord and King. Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you. Jesus cares deeply for you. And so this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit's doing all the talking and the Spirit's doing all the listening, and all we have to do is shut up long enough to pay attention. And I'm terrible at it. And from what I can tell from you all, you are pretty bad at it too. Friends, hear this. This person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. But considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit person with the spirit makes judgments about all things but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of Christ if I could just simply say this because you have the spirit of Christ in you you understand something about the world Something that the world doesn't understand about itself. That God is making the world new through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And I know this one's a little heady, but I'm going to trust that the Spirit will impress upon us this. That the world is made right through Jesus. He is our only hope. He is our only righteousness. He is our only salvation. And the world can keep on going and doing its thing, but all of those things are going to come to nothing. But we'll, what will last is the words that the Spirit speaks to you. What will last is what the Spirit is doing in the world. What will last is what Christ has done through the cross. And 
friends, you are a part of that. And that spirit that is making all things new, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that spirit is in you. And as I open our worship in Romans 8, we are told that this spirit in us has us call out to God as our Father. In fact, it's this special word, and many preachers have tackled this word. It's the word Abba. I'm sure along the way you've gotten an illustration, a little devo about calling God Abba. Here's the deal. The word Abba would have been the very first word that a little child would learn. And it would be the word that they would call their father, Abba. And sometimes we overemphasize the intimacy of the word. And we undermine the real important aspect, which is relationship. This spirit that we have in Christ allows us to be the children of God. That we get to call God our Father. And so we know something about the world. We know that our Father hasn't left us alone, but He has desired to seek and save and redeem each and every one of us. And so here's the challenge. Will we be children of our Abba Father? Will we call out to Him? Will we listen to Him? Will we be open to this Spirit that searches all things? There is at the end of Psalm 139, it says, Search my heart, God, and know my anxious ways, and lead me to the way everlasting. As the Spirit searches all things, would we be open to the Spirit of God searching us? Searching our anxiousness, searching our worries, searching our sickness of sin, searching all of the things that have built up in our lives, all of the garbage, all of the things that we're shameful of. But we ask God to search our hearts and open us to His Spirit. Because this is what I believe the text is teaching me. That the Spirit of God gives us courage to believe and know and to never give up on the most important truth that has ever been shared in this world. That this Jesus, whom the world crucified, is Lord, Messiah, and King. And that Spirit is within you, reminding you, day in and day out that that message is true and don't ever ever give up on that message because if you think about it if you're like me the times where I really mess up the times where I really have gone wrong is when I have neglected that truth And when the most important person becomes myself and what I want, I have forgotten who the most important one really is. Friends, are you listening to the Spirit? 
And is it reminding you that Jesus is Lord and Savior and King? And when it reminds us of that, all we simply have to do is respond in obedience, in love, in service to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you that you are the provider of salvation, of righteousness, of holiness. That we do not navigate this world on our own. But that your spirit is with us and you have given it to us that we might call you our Father in heaven. God, we pray that we won't take for granted all the promises and all of the hope, all the salvation we have in your son Jesus. We wouldn't neglect what we know to be true about the world and though it's foolishness to the world, God, we know that you are making the world right through love, through the love of your son. God, may we resolve to know nothing other than Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. God, we want to search and we want to know all that we can know, and you have told us all that we do need to know. God, we want to know how to fix world hunger. We want to know how to fix disease and heartache and suffering. God, we look at the turmoil around us and we want to know what it is that will fix it. And you have told us all that we need is to let us trust in sacrificial love. Let us trust in the love of Christ. Let us trust in your way. And God, it might be foolishness to this world, but we know it is true to you. We want to walk with you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings and that we in order that we may also share in his glory. Please stand as children of God. <laughs> 